0: Sexophonist Cole Police. Along with Lynn Avery, Belt of Venus is the name of the song. To Live and Die in Space and Time, the name of the album. Cars before that from Candy O. Candy O. Double Life. Get the message from the band Electronic before that and start off the set with Life Recorder, Feel the Flow. This is Dan O'Connell here every Wednesday afternoon from 4 to 6, Monday mornings from 10 until 12. 91.3 in Roxbury. Hey, tomorrow it's going to be 70 degrees. That'll probably be the high for the year, at least for the remaining part of the year. It's not exactly summer. Doesn't mean we can't hear Buffalo Tom fair song summer
1: Side of The summer summer song summer
2: For tracks, loops, playing records all day. with your people Tell me, turn that music down. It's like, nah, Ma, this is it. It's gonna get us out of here. This is the vibe. Chance, why you keep on playing the same thing over and over again? I said, Ma, I'm fixing it, you know? I'm getting the groove right. It's gotta be funky. You know what I mean?
0: Cooper. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was a track A-T-R-A-K. Along with Todd Terry, DJ's got to dance more. Crocodiles before that sleep forever started off the set with Buffalo Tom. Song about the end of summer. This is Dan O'Connell. W-I-O-X is the station, 91.3 in Roxbury. Time for a few more before From the Forest comes up at 6.00. This is Erwin Cooper. The song is music for Growing Flowers Part 1. music from Erland Cooper. Music for growing flowers. Certainly music for waking up or going to sleep. Ambient music from Erland Cooper. Dan O'Connell. Got time for one more. And it's a good one. It uh, took a long time for them that first Pat Metheny album to make it to the streaming services the white album with just the four musicians on it introduction to Pat Metheny and his guitar in the late 70s I'm going to close out with April Joy come on back on Monday morning from 10 until noon for Monday Morning Music another variety show some political commentary but the news just never stops and I'm glad you were here and hopefully our stream will be back up soon this is 91.3 WIOX. Pat Metheny. The song is April Joy. Have a good night. Delia IOX is supported by you and the following underwriters Rick's Tire Service family owned and operated on state route 30 between Roxbury and Grand Gorge tires mounting and wheel balancing for cars trucks lawn garden farm and construction vehicles open monday through friday 8 to 5 saturday 8 till noon more information at 800 lg tires 800 lg tires the Delaware County Chamber of Commerce, a catalyst for sustainable economic prosperity in the Catskills, fostering cooperation, forging partnerships, promoting tourism, providing legislative advocacy, and building strong community ties throughout the region. More information at 607-746-2281 or DelawareCounty.org. This is Dan O'Connell, host of Monday Morning Music on WIOX Roxbury. As the WIOX spokesperson, I also manage underwriting for the station, And I'm here to let you know that underwriting on WIOX is a great way to support the station and inform the community about your business or service. If you'd like to become an underwriter, contact me for details at 607-326-3900 or WIOX at WIOXradio.org.
3: Okay, you're listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM, MTC Cable TV Channel 20 on the campus of SUNY Delhi at 107.5 FM, worldwide at WIOXRadio.org, and on any mobile device, Radio FM app. This is from the forest. Every Wednesday, six to seven p.m., talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and John. How's it going, John? It's going great, Ryan. What's up? It's been a while. Yeah,
4: I've been uh, on the road the last two weeks. So, where'd you go? So, I went out west, drove from Delhi, New York, drove from the Catskills all the way out to the Rocky Mountains. Stopping mostly in South Dakota, in the plains, Great Plains, and Montana. Heading through Wyoming, back to Colorado, and all the way home. Favorite state? Favorite state. I have a lot of favorites for different reasons. But, um, went out and did a little bird hunting adventure. We found um, prairie chickens in South Dakota. We found sharp-tailed grouse in Montana. We found morning doves in Colorado. Did you know that morning doves You can is shoot morning doves there? Morning, you can in most states, actually. We found them in Montana, too. You shoot them in New York? Not in New York. Yeah, I didn't think so. It goes on the ticket on the ballot every couple of years. Someone throws it out, tried to change the law. The issue in New York is that they're considered a passerine.
3: Morning doves good to eat?
4: Excellent. Dove poppers, jalapeno dove poppers. Dove poppers. Oh my goodness, let me tell you, <laughs> very tender, very good. But yeah, yeah, morning dove is actually America's most hunted game species. I did not know that. Yeah. What do you mean? It's the most hunted game species? From what I've read, like more people more than white-tailed deer. More than white-tailed deer. The muddy white-tail. I don't know what the metric is. How it's dare numbers you? Numbers in field. Or it's probably just sheer numbers of individuals taken. It's big in Texas too.
3: Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
4: but the west, yeah, that's...
3: All right. So yeah. a lot of small game hunting is really good small hunting compared to these? Upland bird hunting, oh, my God, yeah. 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 The opportunities are seem endless. And why is that? Because they have a shrub habitat or a or grass? Or what? It
4: depends on what you're hunting. So those prairie chickens, uh, they're in the tall grass prairies. They're the medium-sized grasses, usually under knee height. Yeah. Um. So, no, not shrub components they're eating there's a really small rose hip that we, they were eating and grasshoppers they feed mostly on grasshoppers uh okay. they would hit it and do a milo field which is a, a grain species you might find in bird seed hmm. so some of these fields out there were i'm not kidding you three four five hundred acres per field huge wow and we'd see flocks of them fly into the field there would there be milo and the crops of some of the ones we yeah the dog yeah we brought the dog i brought dog yeah so the dog must have been just in heaven yeah. Yeah. He's a bird dog, right? Yep. Yep. Trained bird dog. Uh, problem out there is everything's so dry and everything, everything's prickly. So for the dog, it was tough. Um, her pads were hurting her after a couple of days. So we'd put her in the truck for a day and had a rest and <laughs> Bar- pull the cactus tips out of the paws. And <laughs> a little, you know, that working man's hand stuff you put on your hands? Yeah. yeah the dog was getting that. Has to get, probably has to get used to that. Yeah. Calluses it? are... I mean, do they get calluses on their pads? I don't know. I do not think about dogs? I mean, they... They must get thicker. I'm not sure because they they split just like my fingers get when yeah. they're real dried out in the in the winter Yeah, but I had it in the truck because that's what I have for my hands when I'm working. I'm working man hands, working goop man stuff. It works perfect, so I put it on the dog. Yeah, but uh, Montana was a little different. There was some shrub component when you got into the drainages. So buffalo berries is yeah. what you're looking for, and they rush on olive. They're invasive there, but it was holding birds. So holding birds, it was doing great um and again rose hips uh, some small plant that had white turning blueberries that i could not identify i gotta figure that one out still huh um small maybe eight inches tall and then grasshoppers grasshoppers birds are eating grasshoppers they love them so that's the thing is the congregates bird hunting man they they hold that crop right so yeah. they feed all day all that foods sitting in the crop waiting to digest on the roost at night so if you get one you're lucky to find one you could figure out where they're eating and that's where you find the rest.
3: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense.
4: Yeah. I don't know. We saw tons of wildlife. It's It was awesome. So, I don't know. The only bear we saw was, was in the Allegheny region, so we didn't even leave New York. Before black bear? Saw a black bear across oh, the yeah, Alleghenies.
3: right. Yeah. Yeah.
4: So, uh, yep, there was black bear there. Didn't see any in the west. Then we found uh, tons of pronghorn. They're everywhere in the plains. How about antelope? That's pronghorn animal. It is a right
3: different there. common name. Okay. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing.
4: American, American. They're American
3: freaking pronged. crazy, man. They, you know, they run like there's cheetahs around still.
4: That's the right, isn't that that's the thought? That's the evolutionary hypothesis. Hypothesis. I believe it because there was like, an, an American cheetah. Because yeah, they run 50 plus sustained for over two minutes. I downloaded for the drive. I learned yeah. all this. I had to download uh, Dan Flores' book, American Serengeti uh, it's all about the the animals, the historic megafauna that was once on the Great Plains. It's no longer there. And American so he, cheetah. So he gets into the, the cheetah in the book, and yeah, they can run sustained fifty miles an hour for over two minutes, and that beats that's out crazy. beats out the cheetah that's chasing you in heat. In heat. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they're pretty cool looking. Their default or their downfall is the they can't jump fences. I found that out. So there's a lot of fences. When you look in the West, there's uh, there's you know, standard strands are, I don't know, 8 or 12 inches spread apart, but the bottom strand has to be higher because the, the pronghorn can't jump over them. They have to go under. They no won't. kidding. So something they evolved with was never allowed them to jump. Wow. So I thought that was neat. That's surprising. Yep. And then uh, plenty of mule deer. They're oh. cool. Like, if you had to draw,
3: like, antlers, the mule deer is, like, perfect. It's yeah. majestic. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, they, they really are pretty.
4: Yeah, the white tail's pretty,
3: no doubt. But I mean, those mule
4: deer, are just yeah, they're larger bodies. I would say the females were as big as a really big buck in the east, right? Right, and then the bucks were just you know yeah. they got time and a half on our bucks or two times. Yeah, um, that was fun. Saw a lot of white tail. I was really surprised at how many white tails we saw. That we were Where in the mule deer and elk country, and crop fields saw, and stuff. Yeah, so uh, sunflowers are a big crop out in the plains. So not a lot of corn, but can't irrigate it. Right. So it's too dry for corn. So what, well, I and mean, there was some, but everything we saw wasn't doing very good in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but sunflower fields again, were hundreds of acres big. So if there was a drainage coming into it, we camped out one night looking down into one of these drainages. So f- from the tent, we could look out and see whitetail coming in out into the, yeah, into the sunflowers. Bigger. How the bodies on them. about the same. I didn't see a Nice big buck, honestly. Just saw a lot of huh. a lot of dough as an average small bucks and I would say they're the same as what we got.
3: I don't know, but you think it has anything to do with the open landscape? Things just don't they look different. Your depth perception
4: I couldn't figure out you know ra- the I mean? range of things.
3: Yeah, because I mean as an easterner, like the mountains are bigger there, but they look even bigger without trees.
4: Right, right.
3: Like if you took the trees off of Slide Mountain, it'd be like a huge mountain. Right. And you but can the see all trees, those features, yeah, the ledges, they, and when they when they have clothes on them or trees, they look different.
4: I guess I can see that.
3: Yeah, well, I, I kind of some guy pointed that out to me. when I was in Boulder, Colorado, I went to school there, and and the flat irons, a lot of them are kind of no trees, and you're like, yeah, they look huge, hmm. but in reality from the valley bottom to the top wasn't that much different, for if you were standing around here in some areas. Right, right, because they're I mean, so even,
4: damn big, even though you know the mountains are so tall. I was telling Julia that I was like. I mean, the hiking is obviously they're dramatically different. They're bigger and rougher mountains. But again, you're starting at. I mean, Denver is five. The Mile High City, right? It's starting at five, Then some of these mountain peaks, when you go to the trailheads, you're you're up at like eight or ten thousand to start. Right. So I'm like, yeah, you can hike four thousand feet. To the, yeah. The, they peak out at like four fourteen thousand. Right. They Have mining roads too. Yeah. So which it, we don't have. Breathing was difficult up there. Yeah. We were uh we were at ten thousand feet one day uh doing some fly fishing and then. Uh we drove up one of the one of the mountains you can drive up Mount Evans you can get up to around 14,000 on pavement that's high yeah you're above trees at that point the trees are done at like 11 5, 12 uh, 12,000 G- GMC do fine fine just fine yeah <laughs> um i guess back in the carbureted days you probably had to retune the carburetor halfway but <laughs> yeah <right. laughs> fuel injected engines don't yeah. care but there was bighorn sheep up there oh, uh you saw them huh? yeah man they were not far off the road actually oh, they see they're that plentiful, yep, and then there was a, which was more uh more rare was the uh mountain goats we saw one in a, at the in a distance with a weight oh okay, yeah, we saw one way off in the binoculars and took some pictures, but it just looks like so a white.
3: mountain goats and bighorn sheep, yeah, they did not know that
4: yep <laughs>
3: yeah.
4: um yeah, how do they do people uh hunt those things you get a lot of for them I don't know the rules. I know you can in in Big Horn. You can can in Alaska, and maybe maybe there's some really rare tags in the states. But I'm in in the the lower forty. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't really like goat meat. Domestic goat meat. I can't say wild. Never had it. You never had domestic goat? Nope. I don't like it. Just never. I'm not because I wouldn't. I just haven't had the opportunity.
3: Yeah, yeah. And I'll try anything just about. But I don't like taste of it. It's kind of weird aftertaste. Huh. But take medicine any day. Yeah. Sure. Um. Oh. Um. So, what did you learn? What What could we learn? You think that you saw that was,
4: that was good out there. you could take back home. That we could take back home. If you could. Um. I mean, it was a hunting trip. So John was el presidente. I was really focused on the hunting and the access. So being from away, I didn't know who to go knock on a door. Right? It's like around here, it's like got to kind of know somebody. Right? Right. So access is completely different in the West. I think the East should adopt some of that. Um for recreation and the Montana especially they've got something called uh, they call block management yeah so when you've got like we have I thought it would be a perfect opportunity like we've got some public land New York City owns a lot of it um mixed in with some forest preserve land in certain areas and the Catskills right so yeah but intermixed is is private right mm-hmm. um block management and the you can sign up for a program uh it's paid out probably through the farm bill but I'm not sure um uh, Paid out to the landowner if they would say you've got maybe you know 5,000 acres of public land and hard to access maybe only one parking lot gets to it but it's pretty big but in the front edge of it where you got all this roadside access there might be another 2,000 acres of a ranch or something they put that into a block management system where everything is open access you need a permission slip for the the public side of it and there's different types type 1 and type 2 type 1 you could It's self-signing permission slip at the gate. There's a box. You sign your name in. You sign your name out. No different than a trailhead around here, right? Similar thing. Type 2 is you got to call the rancher yourself, and they'll say, yep, you can go in, or no, not today. We're harvesting crops, or we don't want you there, something like that. But it just doubles and triples the size of access all of a sudden. And the biggest block I got into or we got into was BLM, Land, Bureau of Land Management. Um, some national grasslands mixed in with ranch land of many different landowners, and it totaled 160,000 acres. Um, and once you got Jesus. in, as long as you stay, there was rules at the gate. You know, if you can go into cow pastures. They let you. As long as you stay on the road, right. if you open the gate, close the gate, simple, easy to do. Right. Um, but as long as you stayed on their rules, most of it is just stay on the roads, and there's roads everywhere because they're ranchers. They need to get places on their ranch, right? so the access was huge and uh we can go anywhere do anything and you know be away be from the northeast yeah. to do it so i think that's something that the northeast can to benefit from and these landowners were compensated they were given dollars for their allowing this access so i think that would be a great offset to you know some of these these farmlands lands that may be struggling with taxes struggling to survive so they get a couple thousand dollars for access so that may help pay the taxes and it's a, just a different different yeah. way to go about it. Before we move on to the topic of tonight, which is going to be
3: turkey vultures, um, what's something that you you wish you know you you missed when you were out there? Trees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anything management wise or culturally or anything?
4: Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. No. Um, Mainly trees. Mainly trees. Climate. Climate It was very dry. I yeah. didn't. I didn't. It was. I couldn't. I don't know if I could live in dryness. It'd be something you'd have to it's get used to. It's a damn desert to. to me. It was. It really was. Yeah. I, I mean, I saw three rattlesnakes while I was out there. Yeah. I wasn't looking for them. Colorado. I mean, I remember when I went to school there.
3: The guys were from Colorado. My college roommates there. And they were like, "Yeah, no, this is uh
4: this is like a moist part of the Rockies." I'm like, "This sucks." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is
3: so dry. I know. I we couldn't were, get over
4: it. We were up in the mountains and saw rain transitioning to snow depending on your elevation yeah. and uh i was joking around i was like yeah, it's probably the first rain they've seen in a long time and it seemed like it because the the way that the ditches were washing out and the yeah. the roadsides got real muddy real fast it's something that you could tell hasn't seen moisture lately or they don't do control devices for moving they water definitely weren't not like new york does it has have to do to. yeah we have to yeah um
3: yeah i just remember looking out from a mountain and you'd watch it rain and the rain wouldn't Reach the ground. That was common. Yeah. You'd see uh, rain. I and...
4: remember. Yeah, now you mentioned that. Out in the plains, you'd see it all the time. I remember being mesmerized by that because it's something you never see yep. in the east. And it was the type of rain that would have been like sheeting rain in a thunderstorm type of yeah. thing around here. But there yeah, you see the clouds and then all of a sudden it just you drive up to it. And the, the pavement's still dry.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful to look at. It's just, yeah, like you said, I couldn't live there couldn't live there but it's it's real you don't have to work hard for a dramatic view
4: yeah and even in what seems like a, a desert plain there's a lot of topography to it it's not dramatic in height but it, it goes up and down 100 200 feet in elevation commonly within a quarter mile so it's constantly rolling and then in between you've got these steep cut drainages that got rocky and ledgy, and you can go down in them and yeah. uh, i mean that's where the mule deer were on all day because they can get some cover right and yeah. there's shrubs and there's bird life and then you get back up on the ridge tops and it's dry grasses again. But I guess management wise, one thing I didn't really know or didn't appreciate that I I'm happy to come back to in the east is some of the rangeland grazing practices, especially that I was in tune to uh, hunting some of these bird species that rely on on the grasses to survive. Um, I think some of it's overgrazed, yeah. but I don't know. how I mean, who am I to tell them how to do their job? Right. No idea, but it it just seemed like when we were on some of these more public lands that had, they still had grazing practices, like BLM lands allowed some grazing, but not, not unlimited. You know, some of the private pastures were, it looked like they might've been (laughs) abused. Right, right. (laughs) And, you know, um, so that's something that. I appreciate coming east was like there's grass everywhere and here you could take cows off a pasture for two weeks and it comes back to a lush green pasture again out there it's like yep. they got one shot and once it's grazed that's it for the year it's not coming back
3: yeah those late uh 19th century maps agricultural maps of the u.s right from wisconsin east into new england is the grass belt yeah and
4: i and see why we, now hell yeah we can grow grass grows through snow when it starts to melt right one cool management thing I, I appreciated was the uh, they allowed the farmers and ranchers to uh, hay the medians of the highways, even on major highways. There was hay equipment and hay bales. That makes so, sense. Why not? I mean, we're paying uh, you know, the DOT crews to yeah. to mow these in- interior medians and they're letting ranchers do it and they're getting hay off of it. Oh my god, I wonder what the costs are of just median man- management. <sighs> Couldn't imagine, but I thought that was a eye-opening, no-brainer, great idea. Yep. So. makes sense, yeah if the West and the East were people i
3: would I would say the West is the extroverted type and the East is an introverted type like you know what I mean in our mountains you you have to kind of work to get the gnome you know what I mean you know, they're not they don't stand out in your face right whereas out west it's just like
4: I mean you have to go in- there's the mountains <laughs> yeah in the east you have to go into the mountains yeah. to uh to see the you know, dramatic features of them but yeah you're right out there and <laughs> understanding like range it's, it, you just can't do it i don't know i was you could see the whole range of the rockies when you're approaching them right i'm like man they got to be close I'm like 15 20 miles they got to be to denver i look on the gps for like 80 miles out that's yeah, crazy i'm like wow <laughs> yeah um and it seemed like you could just see them forever and they're huge and there they were
3: you know like within the catskills the the northern ca- northeastern catskills like green county are kind of like that amongst our mountains like you can see it from the road right but the Shandakin Catskills, like Sly Mountain, and stuff, it's the highest mountain you can hardly ever get a view at it. True. you got to get in there, you know, uh, otherwise you just never see it. But um, tonight's show is about turkey vultures, nature's grim reaper. I had to pick this guy because I feel like it's underappreciated. And the reason why I say that is I think it gets confused with hawks. You know, people are like, oh, look at that bird. It's so great. It doesn't even have to flap its wings, right? It just kind of sails around. Like if I had to come back in the next life in another animal, it would be a turkey vulture. Really, that's your reincarnator, That's your absolutely because they, he's living the life, that's man. Brian's spirit animal. It has no predators. Okay, um, it rides the thermals, and it and it does it well to where it ha- it does it effortlessly. Right. You know, and uh, yeah, you gotta eat some dead animals. So what? Your turkey vulture gives a crap.
4: Right. <laughs> Probably don't have taste buds. A <laughs> <laughs> right? <It's> freaking bird. <laughs> All right.
3: You know, give or take. You know, there's always costs and benefits. But, uh, I mean, they really do live it up, man. Okay, cool. You know, and there's so much, you know, roadkill out there. These guys are, you know, Charlie made a good point, who has been on the show, um, that during the pandemic when less people were, fewer people were driving, there was less roadkill. And you were seeing turkey buzzards going after anything, like little squirrels in back of your house, like anything. Like they were not I, – I think he's right anecdotally because – I would I was seeing them going after things. W- you know, they didn't have the deer. Be you know interesting
4: I mean? to uh, find a a podcast guest that studies turkey vulture population dynamics and to tell us whether or not they uh, had a slight population dip during COVID.
3: <laughs> I don't know, man, but uh, they are cool animals. So let's go into it. Turkey vulture Cathartes aura is the uh, Latin name. It's also known as turkey buzzard um south southern Canada to the southern tip of South America is this guy so it's got a big range even it looks like the vultures in Europe in Africa but it's not related apparently at all so you know dna's come along and spoiled a lot of people's a lot of the taxonomy out there you know, things that we thought were alike. They call this, remember this, convergent evolution? Yeah. Where th- things start to look alike because of their environments, but they're not necessarily, they don't share an an- a common
4: ancestor. I think that's convergent evolution. Right, rather than divergent. So like on the family tree, like the diverging from the trunk, anything closer to the trunk is going to be more related, right?
3: Yeah, so I guess that's what's going on with the uh, turkey vultures. But general description, all right? It's a scavenger. It feeds on carrion or dead animals. Unlike... Almost every bird, it has a sense of smell, which is really weird. Because
4: turkey hunters know, you don't have to worry about scent. Right, right John? Yep. No, it's, if turkeys could smell, we'd never, we'd never get one. Never. They're hard enough with just their eyesight.
3: It's really crazy. I remember when I was first going hunting, and uh, I don't know how many. It was the the turkeys were a long ways away in the field, in in the town of New Paltz, and I don't know anything about hunting. And my friend said to me Don't move Like don't even move your lips And I swear to god I was talking and the turkey like looked at us And I was like you gotta be kidding me He's like that turkey saw you And then you know they do their putt And then, yep. then it's pu- over pu- you know
4: They're gone it's Yeah like you hear that that's, a, that's, that's the death march it's over He's like yeah
3: you can't do that I was like I wasn't even doing anything
4: <laughs> But yeah so that it's true right. If they could
3: smell it be over So they have keen eyesight And a good sense of smell they fly low. Sometimes you'll see I, they go over my house all the time, flying low, looking for carry or smelling for carrion and looking for them. And they don't flap very frequently until they because they find those thermals, especially in your mountains and stuff. You know, in certain cities where there must be thermals, you'll see them congregating at night only. They roost at night together, but they're looking for gases produced by rotting flesh. It's gruesome. They roost in large community groups in the evening, and then they hunt. Um, during the day, alone, so mostly. Yeah, yeah, mostly, not all the time. They don't have any vocal cords, which makes them even scarier, right? They can only hiss or grunt at you. <laughs> to me, they're really skittish. I mean, when I dump dead carcass uh, in, behind my house, you know, deer, when I get a deer and I'm done with it, I mean, I'll, I'll come out of my house and they'll be all up in that big oak tree. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I even look their way, they fly away. I'm like, why do they do that? I mean, I'm not going to do anything to them, uh,
4: but they are skittish. I mean, if you say they don't have any natural predators now, it just kind of shows that they did at one point.
3: They must have. I mean, the only thing they say once in a while, a golden eagle or a bald eagle will take one out, but you, you can't. They don't eat them. I mean, they're disgust. They spit at predators. They vomit. Kinda...
4: Maybe you were going to say this at some point, but I've heard that they're – I don't know this because how would you ever – I guess you'd be in a really unfortunate situation if you found this out personally, but – they have a defense tactic to vomit yeah. when scared, like overly scared. That's so, nasty. Yeah, well, that's got to be effective <laughs> to yeah. anything that doesn't normally eat rotten meat to get vomited by a turkey vulture eating rotten meat on. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I'm going to come back as, turkey vulture, man. All right.
3: <laughs> all, right. <laughs> all right. All right. All um, right. Now, it gets weirder with this guy. So, yeah, it it throws up, does all that. It nests in caves and hollow trees and thickets. It's just a spooky animal, man. It's a spooky animal. Two chicks per year, anywhere from one to three. Three would be a lot. So, on average, two chicks per year. But um, it feeds the chicks by regurgitation like most birds do. Right, John? I guess.
4: Feeding, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was before talking about their stress response.
3: Yeah, yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. It regurgitates its food, and uh, I forget what that term's called, what the ball is. I don't know. Is don't there a know. term for it? I don't know. It is protected. I don't know why. It's protected by the Migratory Bird Treaty Act of 1918. Like, who the hell is is
4: snooping, swiping turkey buzzards? <laughs> you can't eat them. Uh, it, maybe it was uh, an issue with mistaken identity, right? You know, We seem to want to get rid of all predators on any landscape and— I mean, if anything,
3: they clean up. They help us out. I mean, well, I
4: agree, but I, th- I think maybe some, somewhere along the line we had to pass a, a protection order on them, just to lump them in with bald and golden eagles and whatever else we were trying yeah. to kill. Just to <laughs> not... I
3: feel like they just they're they're uh, you know free riding on the other birds. They are just like yeah, lump them in. Yeah, could be. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't... I mean, I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. I'd like to look into that, but again, how many people are are studying turkey buzzards? I really don't know. But uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. We're talking about turkey vultures, nature's grim reaper. So it's got a bald head, and it resembles a turkey. It makes it even spookier looking, that bald head. The head is small in comparison to the body, which makes it even look even more gawky or...